Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the beautiful day you blessed us with and the awesome opportunity to be able to get into your word. Help us now as we get further into our studies in the book of Job to understand the message you want us to receive. We thank you oh so much for the opportunity as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our chronological study through the word of God, we're in the book of Job. In Job chapter 6, We've seen in chapter 5 and in chapter 4 where Eliphaz, the so-called friend of Job, has pretty much criticized Job and his family, saying that the things that come upon you is because of sin. And Job responds here in chapter 6 where it reads, But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox when over his fodder? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. Oh, that I might have my request! And that God would grant me the thing that I long for. These examples that he gave all the way up to verse 8 there, are he's trying to compare what he's going through with things around, similar to the way the Lord teaches us in the parables, bringing out things that people would commonly understand or know about. Try to get some revelation of how he's feeling and what he's going through. As it continues, verse 9, even that it would please God to destroy me. Here he's once again saying he'd rather be dead. Rather the Lord just go ahead and kill him, take him out of here, than have to continue in the suffering that he's in. Even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Then should I yet have comfort. Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope for, and what is mine end that I should prolong my life? People get to a point sometimes, as Job has displayed here in his attitude, in the midst of their sufferings where they just soon go ahead and die. Like, why are they still here? I have counseled and talked and prayed with folks that have had this attitude. They were so weary of fighting, they were so uncomfortable with their life that they were ready to die and did not even want me to pray for them. And we see Job here in this state of mind where he would rather just go on and die. Verse 12, Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh of brass? Is not my help in me, and is wisdom driven quite from me? 
To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend. But he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. Now here he's pointing out how his friends should be showing him pity and example of how his brethren, his own family, have deceitfully dealt with him as a brook. He gets into explanation here talking about just a, a small creek, you might say. That sometimes you cannot depend upon that small creek because it might dry up or change route or freeze over. As he explains, my brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks they pass away, which are blackish by reason of the ice, and wherein the snow is hid. Like they freeze over because they're shallow. You can't get any water out of it. So they're of no benefit. It's an interesting point to throw in here in the timeline. This was still a time when that area was being affected by the ice age, which was triggered by the worldwide flood. And that area had received a lot of snow and was still receiving some snow, even to the point of some evidence of a glacier going down into that area. But it has all receded since then. But when this was written, it was in that area still showing the residence, or I should say the residue of the evidence of the flood with this ice and with this cold and with the snow he mentions as well in that region. So it's an interesting point to throw in there with, when you're looking at the timeline of all from creation to the flood to today. And back into it here in verse 17. What time they wax warm, they vanish. Talk about the streams. When it gets hot in the summer, they just dry up. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their way are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. The troops of Tema looked. And the companies of Sheba waited for them. Now here's a clue also where he talks about the troops of Tema and the companies of Sheba, which help us pinpoint the area where Job lived. It was in Arabia. And Teba is north or the northern area of Arabia. And Sheba is the southern area of Arabia. So where Job lived would have been in between those. And he's talking about how they would come to that area to try to receive or to get water and those brooks would be dried up or frozen or whatever. They were confounded because they had hoped they came thither and were ashamed. And he's comparing this creek, this vanishing away, this undependable creek, to his friends. For now ye are nothing. Ye see my casting down and are afraid. Did I say bring unto me? Like, did I ask you guys to come and give me anything? Did I ask you to come and comfort me? Did I ask you to come and criticize me and condemn me, saying that what I got is what I deserve? No. Did I say bring unto me or give a reward for me or of your substance or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. 
Like, if I've done something wrong, you point it out. You show me. What have I done wrong to deserve what I am suffering? We have connections or interactions with individuals that are whining or complaining about a physical ailment or a problem in their finances or in their relationships, which can clearly be understood by their behavior. They complain about a particular ailment which is caused by a substance abuse or by a physical abuse that they've done to themselves, and then they complain about it. They're like, you brought it on yourself. That's pretty clear. But that is not the example with Job. They cannot point out anything that Job was doing that brought this upon him. Verse 25, How forcible are right words, but what doth your arguing reprove? Do ye imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. Now therefore, be content. Look upon me, for it is evident unto you if I lie. Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? He's, he's coming back with a pretty good defense there. It's like, if I've said anything, if I've done anything that is an error, show me, prove it. They couldn't, as it continues in chapter 7. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? Like, we're only going to be here so long. Only an appointed time for us to live and then die. As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise? And the night be gone, and I am full of tossings, to and fro, unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him any more. Like when you're dead, you're dead. But praise the Lord, today we can have confidence that we don't need to be afraid of death. Because when a Christian dies, he dies physically, yes, he leaves that body but we can look forward to eternity, everlasting life, and a glorified body that won't be suffering. Back into it here in chapter 7, verse 11. Therefore I will not reframe my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? When I say my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall 
cease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooseth strangling and death rather than my life. I loathe it, I would not live all the way. Let me alone, for my days are vanity, vanity being fleeting away. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning, and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. So quite a response there of Job, and quite a moaning and groaning about his condition. And basically, once again, wishing that he was just dead because of the suffering he's going through. And pointing out that his suffering is not a result of his sinful behavior. And that if it was, pointed out, and they couldn't. And in chapter 8, another one of his friends, so-called friends, speaks to him. Then answered Bildad the Shuite and said, How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? Here he's kind of calling out Job. He's saying, Okay, I hear all your words, and they're coming in like wind, and there's just so much of it. And he's pointing out, Does God pervert judgment? In verse 3. Or doeth the Almighty pervert justice? He's like, you're getting exactly what you deserve. But see, he's misunderstanding the actions and behaviors and the character of God. He's pointing out accountability. Yes, there is accountability for behavior. But he's saying that that's the only situation there is. But that is limiting God and the things that are under his control. And that's later when we see... The Lord's response to these gentlemen, these so-called friends, and says if it wasn't for Job, he would have destroyed them because of what they were saying. They didn't know what they were talking about. But even though they were incorrect in the way they were evaluating the situation of Job, some of the things that they said would apply in their proper context, such as which is a very truth, where it says, doth God pervert judgment or doth Almighty pervert justice? No, he doesn't. But that wasn't the situation here. If thy children have sinned against him and he have cast them away for their transgression, although he's asking this as a question, sort of, like if thy children had, if they sinned and they got what they deserved, then that's what they deserved. But that wasn't the situation. The children were not sinning. If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, or 
repeatedly and make thy supplication to the Almighty. If thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Like if you would confess your sins and pray sincerely, then the Lord's going to answer your prayers and take you out of your suffering. See, Bildad didn't have that authority to be able to say such a thing. We can submit ourselves, humble ourselves, ask the Lord for blessings, ask the Lord for healings, but not treat him as if he's some genie in the bottle where you, you rub the bottle and then you get three wishes and he has to do exactly what you say because that's what you said and you wanted. But that's what they're trying to turn the Lord into is just a genie at, the, at your command. Verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Which is actually what winds up happening. The increase of Job at the end of all this, because Job did it right. He did not complain to God or curse God. He complained about his situation but he did not complain about God. He did not blame God for what come upon him. He did not curse God. He kept his attitude right in that relationship. Moaning and groaning and complaining about what his situation was, yes, but did not blame God for it. That's the key difference there. And in the end, the Lord blessed him with multiple times more than what he had to begin with. So that statement right there could apply in its proper context. Verse 8, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, because our days upon earth are a shadow. Shall not they teach thee? Like, let's look back at history and see what has happened to people in the past and the blessings or the chastisements or cursings that have come upon people as a result of their behavior. Shall not they teach thee and tell thee and utter words out of their heart? Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in his greenness, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. He's trying to use the comparison to plants, how they respond to what they are receiving, the blessings or lack thereof. Here, speaking of water. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrites hope shall perish whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. He shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. He shall hold it fast, but it shall not endure. He is green before the sun and his branch shooteth forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped about the heap and seeth the place of stones. If he destroy him from his place, then it shall deny him, saying, I have not seen thee. 
Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth shall others grow. Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. Verse 20, summing up what he was just saying there about the hardships or the sufferings or the casting away and the destruction of those that are evil was accurate. And then in verse 20, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers. Another accurate statement. Which is the interesting thing you find when you're dealing with people. Some of the things they're saying, okay, that applies, that's true, but that's the rest of it is not. You've got bits and pieces of okay, and some of it's pretty good, but some of it is not. So you've got to really look at it. What are they saying? How much of it is true? How much of it is accurate? Some of what they were saying was true and would apply, but others would not. Verse 21, Till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing, they that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Come to naught. Go away. All right, we're running into chapter 9. We see here Job responding to what Bildab has just said to him. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? And like, how can man stand up and say that he is righteous of his own? Because like the word tells us, our righteousness is as filthy rags. If he will contend with God, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Like you cannot argue with God or contend with God. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? You go up against God, you're not going to prosper. Which removeth the mountains, and they know not. Which overturneth them in his anger. Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. Which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars. Talking about how God has control of all of his creation, including man which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, talking about the constellations, the stars, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? If God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Like, how could I have any kind of power or authority to go up against God and argue with God for his situation. Verse 15. Whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. This answer is talking about sort of talk back or be 
in objection to. And it says, but I would make supplication. It's like, ask for what you need and for what you want. Yes, but don't condemn yourself by trying to go up against God and saying, this is what you owe me. I should have this. I deserve it. Kind of an attitude. Verse 16, if I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. For he breaketh me with a tempest and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. That's a very good statement there in verse 20. That self-righteousness, that self-justification cannot do that. That proves that you are not justified, that you are not perfect, that you are perverse. Verse 21. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul? I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore I say. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. Which is a very interesting point there. The good do die. Like one of those songs that out there, the good die young. Yes, the good die young. The wicked die young also. There's a reason and purpose for all of it. Can we uh, comprehend all of it? No. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships as the eagle that hasteneth to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, Yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and he should come together in judgment. Like there again, he's no equal to God. You can't demand God, you have to do this, you have to do that. Neither is there any days man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. And in the beginning of verse 10 there, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Let's wrap it up there, but that right there in verse 10, that first sentence there, the first verse, is speaking of his 
acceptance that he's going to moan and groan within himself, complain to his friends and so forth, but he's not going to go against God. Not going to contend with God because he knows there's no winning that battle. Just to humble himself and suffer through this whole process and pray, ask the Lord for the healing, ask the Lord for the blessings, yes. But no, they'll come on the Lord's time, not our time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank You all so much for Your Word. Written so long ago, but can still apply to our lives today, help us realize to always humble ourselves as we come to You. That You are the Almighty. You are the one in control. Let us always know and acknowledge that. Thank you all so much for the opportunity you've given us as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.